0: I'd like you to imagine something for a moment. Imagine what it would be like to have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, physically living among us here in Toronto. 2018, October. Imagine what it would be like to have Jesus walk through the doors and be among us in our small service here. Um, Imagine what it would be like to have him come up onto the stage here and and offer to give the message. Or imagine that after the service, he uh, said to you, like he said to Zacchaeus, uh, I have to go to your house today. I wanna have dinner with your family. Imagine uh, you are at work in the hustle and bustle of work. You're having a stressful day. Uh, You're dealing with a difficult client. Uh, You're feeling very stressed And suddenly Jesus walks through the door and comes up and tells you exactly what you need to hear, the exact wisdom to solve the problem, and then he prays for you, and and as he leaves, your, your heart is full of encouragement and faith. Or imagine you're a single person who is with your girlfriend or boyfriend, and you're being tempted to be sexually impure. And suddenly Jesus appears in that darkly uh, lit room with both of you and, and, he, and he talks to you and he puts his hands on your shoulders and, and suddenly there's a motivation and a desire to exercise self-control and to, to love each other fully and wait for each other until marriage. Oh, we could, we could come up with all kinds of scenarios of imagine what it would be like. Can you imagine what it would be like to actually have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with us? It'd be wonderful. But it's not so, so why should we pretend like it is? At least that's the way most Christians would would answer that thought. Uh, Jesus isn't here, at least not like that. Do you ever remember reading this verse in Scripture? Scripture. From John 16, it says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. And Jesus doesn't have to say that. Well, everything he says is the truth. But when he goes to, out of his way to tell you that something that's the truth, you can be sure that he's saying something that you don't think is going to be the truth. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the helper. And of course, the big question is why would Jesus, the Son of God, think that it is to our advantage to have the Holy Spirit, the helper, over his own presence with us? That's an advantage to us, he says. He says it's the truth. Well, I want us to think about this with you today. So please open your Bibles to John 14, John 14. And we'll read verse 15 to 18, John 14, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. And let me read those verses to you. Jesus is speaking to the disciples in the, the upper room um, where they're going to shortly be celebrating the, actually, they all already have celebrated the, the uh, Passover together. This is his, his last real talk with his disciples before he is about to be crucified. And what he's saying is so in, very important. To you, these two verses—well, there's four verses—but the two we're going to settle, settle in on is verses 16 and 17. And these two verses pack a wallop of encouragement. There is is massive encouragement tucked away in these two verses. And so, my desire for every one of us today is that we would all know that there is one just like Christ that is with us right now in our Sunday gathering, involved in speaking to us through the message that will be with you at your table when you eat dinner later on downstairs or when you are eating it with just your family or your spouse later on in the week who is with you, comforting you when you are grieving, present with you, actually present with you when you are facing strong temptations. In other words, the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus and is present with us. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus and is present with us. Uh, each point of our message today uh, delivers another a salvo of encouragement to us to those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. The first encouragement is simply this, that God is for us. God is for us, for us. Look what it says in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Of course, the context of verse uh, 16 is all the verses that come before it. Uh, the context is verses really 12 to 15. Verse 12, I've preached on these verses before. Verse 12 is a, is a promise about the Spirit where Jesus talks about us being able to do the things he does because he goes to the Father. This is a promise about, about us being able to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit the way Christ himself operated in the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And then right away after that, he connects the the promise of the Spirit in verse 12 to our prayers for the Spirit in verses 13 and 14. In other words, the the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not automatic. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is clearly tied by Jesus himself to prayer, prayer for the, the, the promise. And then... Right after that, in verse 15, he calls the church, calls believers to obedience. And he says something remarkable. He says that if we love him, we will obey him. In other words, love is a condition or a precursor or something that is a requirement for us to obey Jesus. It is most significant that obedience. Comes out of love. Obedience is something that issues out of love. Jesus teaches us this. And then we have verse 16, the verse we're looking at. Now, there is an unwritten question that exists between verse 15 and verse 16 that is not in our text. And that is, well, how does one get such love for Jesus then? If I need to love Jesus in order to obey him, How do I get that kind of love? And the answer is verse 16. Right away, Jesus encourages us. He says, listen, the Christian life is one of obedience to me, but I will ask the Father. Right away, there's encouragement. So in verses 13 and 14, we are asking the Father for the Holy Spirit And then we find out in verse 16 that that Jesus is asking the Father for the Holy Spirit. Our asking is dependent on Jesus' asking. I love the way uh, Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 18th century, explains what's happening in this verse. He says, I will pray, says the Son. I will send, says the Father. I will comfort, says the Holy Ghost. It was not the Father who said, let me save man. But the three persons conjointly said, with one consent, let us save man. Do you you see in verse 16 how God wants to help us? Each person of the Godhead is actively involved in giving us help. Wanting to supply what we need so that we can love Jesus and live for Jesus, obey Him. God is doing everything possible to set us up for success. He doesn't just tell us the address to go to, He he gives us the car topped up with gas so that we can get there. As it says in Romans 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, I I tell you that uh, Piper has said this, that much of the great growth in his life comes by phrases, phrases that penetrate his heart. I find that too. Little phrases can change my, my life and can change your life. Let this phrase get a hold of your heart. God is for you. If God is for us, he's for you. Child of God, God is for you. Your circumstances might not be for you. Your feelings and thoughts might be against you. People around you might be against you, not for you. But that doesn't include God. God is for you. And so the question is, will you believe it? This is one of the areas of faith that God's calling us to. It's not enough to know this. Will you believe it? He is for you. He is for us. He is for our church. My friends, we must believe it because it's true. The second encouragement found here is that the Holy Spirit is somewhat like an identical twin to Jesus, in that he's the same, but not the same. He has the same love, the same holiness, the same power, the same wisdom, and the same commitment to helping us in all of our life. Not only is God for us, my friends, but but the Spirit is like Christ. Very much like Christ. He's not Christ. It's not the Holy Spirit, isn't another name for Christ, but He is exactly like Christ, but not exactly like Him. It's a mystery. What it says in verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. I think that it's, it's easy for us to miss something when we read that, and and we miss this: that when Jesus talks about the Spirit being another Helper, He is telling us that He is a Helper. And the spirit that the Father will send is going to continue helping us the way Jesus helps us. You know, you look at this word helper, which I I did a lot of study this, this, um, this week on this particular word. I studied lexicons. I studied... A theological dictionaries I studied I went through pages of the way all the ways used in the Septuagint and here and there and the, the concept of helper not just the exact word uh, the word helper when I just say that to you that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not an impressive word that's not an impressive word in our day it seems kind of bland helper? really? that's it? Um, In fact, in our generation, helper has the idea of inferiority uh, locked into it. Helpers don't seem very important. In fact, you know, some of us saw the movie The Help. It talks about domestic servants. It has the idea of, you know, really? That's what Jesus is? That's what the Spirit is? A helper? If we're thinking about the word that way, we're importing and interpreting the word through the lens of our own history and culture and moment in time uh, rather than as scripture defines it because in scripture, uh, there's many ways that this is translated, advocate, counselor. Um, but the, 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 again and again, the scholars say the best word is the word Helper. Because here is the essence of what this means, this word. It means someone who helps someone in need or in danger that cannot help themselves. Someone who who cannot change their situation and need help. Well, what does that sound like to you? That sounds an awful lot like the word savior or deliverer. And lo and behold, you you look up the concept in the Old Testament and you find out that's exactly what it means. Let me read a selection of verses to show this to you. One of my favorite promises, Psalm 72:12. He delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter. For there was none left bond or free and there was none to help Israel. See, having no help is to be in dire straits. This wonderful verse from Psalm 10 where the psalmist is speaking to God and he says, but you do see for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits Himself, You have been the helper of the fatherless. The Lord is on my side, is my helper. What does this helper do? I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Well, that's a strong word. What about this famous verse? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Want some proof that the word help has savior, deliverer connotations? Listen to this verse. This is the verse that's quoted in Romans 8 from Isaiah 50, verse nine. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? That's salvation language, friends. And here's another one. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. God says, there was no help. And so I did the saving myself. So when, when, when Jesus, now we got to reorientate ourselves to biblical thinking now. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as the helper, he is associating him with the powerful, marvelous works of deliverance by God in the Old Testament. And he is associating the, the helping work of the Spirit with Jesus' own delivering, helping, helping people who can't help themselves, ministry that he had in the New Testament. The word that's actually translated helper in verse 16 is the Greek word parakletos, which is applied to Jesus in uh, 1 John 2, where it says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Well, in that context, advocate fits. But in most contexts, advocate doesn't fit. What fits is helper, the general idea of of help. It's a wonderful word. And here's what I don't want any of us to miss. The Spirit, my friends, the Spirit is this wonderful gift that comes to us because of what Christ has done, the Spirit is given to us to help us. It's not just given to do stuff. He's given to help us. He is given to help us with those areas that are beyond us and typically defeat us. Everyone in this, this room is struggles in different areas. We all struggle. We're all strugglers. Some more outwardly, some more inwardly. But we all struggle. Uh, some of you regularly struggle with temptations to despair. And the Holy Spirit is given to you to help you with that very thing. That very struggle. Some of you are, have a tendency to hardness of heart. It seems that your heart is always drifting to calcification, where you don't love God. You don't love His Word. You don't love His people. You do, but your heart easily drifts that way. You get cynical. The Holy Spirit is given to you to help you with that. You neglect prayer. You find prayer hard. The Holy Spirit helps you to pray. He, the Bible says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Some, some people like to be in control. They like to control other people and manipulate them. You're a controller. The Holy Spirit wants to give you self-control, but not control over other people. He'll help you with that. Some people struggle with unforgiveness and bitterness. You have a, your weakness is that you're easily offended. The Holy Spirit will help you with that. Others struggle with lustful thoughts and sexual sin, which seems rampant in the church and rampant in our world. This huge need, the Holy Spirit helps us with that very real struggle. There are people that struggle with fears about the future, they struggle with self righteousness, they struggle with pride. I was just reading again C.S. Lewis' classic. I think it's one of the best chapters. Well, it's certainly the best chapter I've ever read on pride, period. In mere Christianity. Six pages long. But it's one of the best chapters I've ever read, period. Every time I read it, I'm amazed at how he doesn't waste a single word in that whole chapter. It's all brilliant. And one of the things he brings out is that pride is one of those sins that people who have it never see it. They see it in others. And, it, and, they get, and he says, the more pride that is in your heart, the more pride bothers you when you see it in others. But you're blind to it in your own heart. The more pride you have, the less you see it in your own heart, the more you see it in others, the more bothered you are when you see it in others. But somehow it's, it, it misses you. You don't see how much of it is in your own heart. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us to to deal with this monster sin that is so, it's like the invisible man. We can't see it in in ourselves. Only the the Holy Spirit kind of does the spray paint where you finally see the evil sin that's there because it's always invisible. Loneliness, emptiness. My friends, whatever the struggle is, whatever it is that you struggle with a lot, anxiety, I've mentioned this, I've got, I have many sins I struggle with, but I've mentioned to you, I feel like I'm more aware of the sin of anxiety than any other sin. I'm aware of many sins in my life. But I'm most aware of the sin of anxiety because I, like I feel like I struggle with anxiety every day of my life. And God has helped me by the power of the Holy Spirit. You name the struggle, the Spirit has been expressly given to be our helper. He's our helper. He helps us to love Jesus and to obey Jesus. The Christian life, listen, this is a very simple statement, but it's amazing how many of us miss this. The Christian life is a life that can only be lived in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Unlike Christ, this is how the Holy Spirit is different from Christ. Unlike Christ, the Holy Spirit doesn't do his work instead of us, right? Jesus does his work instead of us in our place. We don't contribute anything but the sin. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works in us. He he doesn't work instead of us. He works with us. I thought of... um, A couple of illustrations. And actually the illustration I came up with is a really bad one because most people who have had a driving instructor don't like the driving instructor. In fact, all my kids remind me that I was their driving instructor and I was the worst driving instructor ever, which I was, I was a little hyper, um, which doesn't surprise you. I have anxiety issues. Come on. Um, I remember when I had a driving instructor and he had this kind of fake little thing on the side there that, that he could put the brake on and stuff. And, and uh, he was a meanie, you know, he wasn't very encouraging. And so I'm going to use that illustration anyway, but even it's, it's a bad one, is that the Holy Spirit is not mean, he's not anxious, but he is like a driving instructor that you've got the hands on the steering wheel, you're doing the driving, but he's right there. He's telling you what to do. He's telling you how to park. He's, he's helping because you don't know what you're doing. You, you're doing it, but he's helping you to know what to do. Uh, some of you had, I realize this happens less and less in our culture, but some of you had your mom teach you how to cook or your dad, you know, somebody in your family taught you how to do it. Uh, that's what it's like. It's, it's, you don't really know what you're doing, but somebody who's really good at it knows it, and they're kind of letting you do it, but they're, oh, no, 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 just don't, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, you can take it off now. Take it off the heat now. Uh, for me, the best example is when I was doing karate years ago. That's, the, the instructor was so patient, and he would slowly go through the moves with you, and he would help you, and he would spar with you. Um, I think karate is the best, best picture of mentorship that I've ever seen in the world because of the way they function. The, 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 you can come up with your own illustration in your own life of somebody who, who is there with you. You know, I'm a, I'm a tech idiot. So I need somebody to, if somebody tries to explain to me what I'm supposed to be doing with software or with this or that or the other thing, I just, I don't, I go blank. Uh I just, I, I need somebody to sit down with me and say, okay, Tim, look, see what we're doing? Okay, write that down. Next, write that down. See what we're doing? Oh, no, I didn't get that. Go back again. See, that's how I learn. Well, that's, that's really, my friends, this is imp- imperfect, but this is how it works with the Holy Spirit. You're doing it. But he's right there. Helping you. Are you living in the good of this divine partnership? that God has arranged for you. Because it's for you. He's he's a helper. The last encouragement in our text is in many ways the most amazing of all. The Spirit lives inside of us. He's with us and He's in us. And He never leaves and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever." And then he says, in verse 17, "Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows Him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you." This, my friends, is what differentiates uh, the unbeliever from the believer. It's not who. Believes in God. For Jesus said, even the demons believe in God and tremble. Okay, belief in God. that didn't. Lots of unbelievers believe in God. Uh, it's not who goes to church because there's lots of people that go to church. I went to church every Sunday and I didn't get converted until I was 18. I was there from the time I was, you know, in diapers. Uh, that doesn't make you a Christian, though. Christians go to church. Uh, it isn't who reads their Bible or who prays though that's what Christians do but non-Christians do that too it isn't somebody who calls himself a Christian the distinguishing characteristic of a true believer is that they have the holy spirit living inside them this is what distinguishes a believer and an unbeliever listen to how it, the apostle paul says it in romans 8 he says you are controlled by the spirit if You have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Is the spirit of God living in you? Is the spirit of God living in you? Because if he's not, you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. And of course, this is where modern science bumps up against the wall of its limitation Because the spirit is something that is outside of the five senses. And therefore, spirit cannot be measured by the five senses. So the world neither sees him nor knows the spirit. Unbelievers are devoid of the spirit of God. And that is why they don't love Christ. That is why they don't love Christ's commandments. That's why they don't love God's people. But it says here in verse 17, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I love the fact that it says you know him. Uh, this uh, We don't have time to go into this, but this, this concept of knowing that's used there is not just factual information. You don't know about him. You know him like a husband or wife would know one another after they have been married many years. This this verse clearly tells us that the Spirit is knowable by us. The, The Creator is knowable by the creature and that He relates to us in a personal and relational way. Well, out of this this fact that he dwells within us, there are two sub, massive sub-encouragements. That's an encouragement enough, but listen to these two more encouragements that flow from that. First of all, in verse 16, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That's, That's a good one. He will never leave you or forsake you. Remember when um, David committed murder, murdered one of his best friends, one of his mighty men, and then committed adultery with his wife? Do you remember what he said in in his psalm of repentance? He said, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And why did he say that? Because that's exactly what happened to the king that came before him, Saul. You remember? God took his spirit away from Saul and sent a tormenting spirit toward him. That's what happened. When Saul rebelled against God, God removed his spirit from him. And David said, don't do that to me. Cast me not away from your presence or take not your Holy Spirit from me. But Jesus assures us here that our faith cannot be found and then lost and then found and then lost again. Uh, if you want a, a verse that shows that Calvinism is true <laughs> and Arminianism is wrong, you can't lose your salvation because when, you, when he gives the spirit, the spirit stays with you forever. Forever. It means forever. Forever. In John 10, Jesus says the same truth in another way. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. So the first thing is super big encouragement. When the spirit comes and lives within us, he stays there, he doesn't leave. You know, I've lived in 27 different homes, four different countries, 27 different homes. I've lived in a lot of homes. I've left a lot of places. But when the spirit moves into your home, he stays in that home forever, past the grave. Secondly, and this is, I think, even sweeter still. It says that the spirit in verse 17, dwells within us. He dwells with you and will be in you. And this is, a, this, uh, I've been looking forward to this point most this week to tell you because this is what some of you so desperately need to know today is that God is always near to us. He is near. We often look for his near. We come in on a Sunday and we we, we look for something, some kind of a sense through the worship that God is near us. We're looking for something. And uh, we pray and we're we're hoping that there'll be some kind of a sense or feeling or something to show that God is near us. My friends, he is near you because he's in you. And this is known by faith because sometimes the Holy Spirit conceals himself. And, 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 if, and if the Holy Spirit conceals himself and doesn't penetrate through the five senses, then you don't sense his presence. You have to know that he's there only through scripture. At other times, and we all know what this is like, there have been times where we're praying and we have a, a sense of his presence. We'll even say it that way. Or we're worshiping God and we, we had a sense of God's presence today in the service. Sometimes we sense his presence when the word is being preached. Or sometimes when we are alone or, or tempted or, or in grief. How many times I've heard people who have gone through heart-wrenching grief talk about that the, there was a sense of God's comforting presence with them. And so we become aware of of the Spirit's presence through scripture and we become further aware of his presence through our senses. But we don't depend on our senses to know that he is present with us. We can know it by faith. Listen to this verse from Jesus to the Pharisees. He says, is not Uh, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. That's interesting. I I love that verse. Because all of us would probably agree with the fact that if you don't know the scriptures, you go wrong pretty quickly. Okay, that's pretty obvious. But most of us wouldn't say if we don't know the power of God, we go wrong. Jesus said, if you don't know the power of God, you go wrong. You need both. You need truth and power. And we know the truth of the Spirit's indwelling through the scriptures. But we also know the truth of the Spirit's indwelling through power. Because the Holy Spirit is not an idea. He's not just a doctrine that we study he is a person of power that lives within us. Without, without the Holy Spirit, Christianity is reduced to a concept and becomes a mere philosophy of life. Not a living way with God. If you were a true believer in Christ, my friends, if you were a true believer in Christ today, God is very near to you. The Spirit of God, God's special helper, is present. Listen, he is present to help you at the very point of your struggle. The very place that you are struggling right now. That is where the Holy Spirit, the helper, wants to help you. He is your helper. He is as close to you as you are to yourself. In fact, he is closer to you than yourself because he knows you so much better than you know yourself. So my final question to you today is, will you acknowledge this Holy Spirit, this helper? Will you acknowledge him and rely on this helper to enable you to love and live for Jesus? When Andrew was leading us in worship at the front end of the service, he said this, um, something like this. Let's, let's worship and enter into God's presence. And what was he saying when he said that? Was he saying that by worship, we, we, that's how we get there? No, at least I hope he wasn't saying that. Well, what he was saying, by worshiping God, we become aware we're, 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 it's, he's, he's here, he's already here. But when we're worshiping, we, there's an awareness that comes to us. You see, there's a faith awareness. And, and, and now we enter in, in the sense of that we become aware of God, we haven't been thinking about him, we've been talking to somebody, we've been looking at our our phone, we're, we're distracted, but let's become aware of what is. This is what we want. We want to have a, a special prayer time today after, the, after we're going to sing a song together. But after we do that, we want to have special ministry. And this is what we want to pray for. That, that God will make many of us much more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence than we've been aware. Because if the truth be told, many of you would say, you go through your day, day after day after day after day, and you don't have any sense of God's presence with you. You don't even think about God, hardly. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does when we're aware of his presence, he's there, he's working. And we need to be aware of him before we can be dependent on him. And we want to get to the place of dependence, but we need awareness. And the awareness doesn't just come through fuzzy feelings. It comes through a faith a faith knowledge, a faith awareness that God will give us. Anything less than this, friends, is not true Christianity. Let's pray. So Father, we come in, in Jesus' name, and we ask that you will now give our, give our church, take us from kindergarten, uh, graduate us, Lord, into grade one. Lord, we want, we, we want to kind of now move, move along Thank you, Father, for you've been so good to us and taught us so many things. But now we have to go through the scary, the scary thing of, of now moving away from our familiar little classroom with all the little posters and crayon art on the wall. And now you're going to move us to a new teacher and a new classroom, and it's going to be a little scary. Lord, uh, we, we feel that way that you're moving us to have faith and move into, into kind of new territory. But we ask that you give us the grace to do it, the faith to do it, because you want us to to move um, into all the goodness and all the fullness that you intend for us in this wonderful gift of the Spirit, the Helper. So, Lord, do this today. Do this in many hearts. Lord, do something new, we pray.